Thank you for listening to the First Christian Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. Here you will be able to listen to all of our Sunday morning sermons. Be sure to hit the subscribe or follow button so you don't miss a sermon. Enjoy today's message. Today we're going to continue the series, What on Earth Am, what on earth am I Here For? And we had a little break in the series And thanks to CJ, he preached last week. I was down in Fort Myers, stranded in Fort Myers, Florida. I had flown down the week before, a week ago Monday, to kind of help my parents out. And I really appreciate our leadership who allowed me to kind of take an emergency emergency vacation to help my mom and dad out. My dad's in the hospital. Mom was by herself in a mobile home in Fort Myers this week and so, or last week during the hurricane. And so flew down, helped her get the house ready for the hurricane, what we thought was a tropical storm. In fact, I really didn't want to be there. In fact, my, my rule of thumb is never fly into a hurricane. <laughs> that, that should have held. You need boundaries in your life. That should be one. Don't ever doubt when I preach the Word of God. This is just an opinion, but it should be Word of God. Never fly into a hurricane. And so by the grace of God, she was going to stay there through the hurricane, and I said, Mom, I didn't come to Florida to die in the hurricane. Amen. Amen. And, and really, folks, when, when you're talking about risk of life, you want to play it as safe as you possibly can. And so I got up at 2.30 a.m. in the morning to catch a 6 o'clock flight out of Indy into Fort Myers. I was there before noon. And about 2.30, I hit the wall and I was worn out. So I took a nap, woke up, and Mom had decided to leave the uh, mobile home and to go to a hotel. And I thought, praise God. She said the Holy Spirit had told her that we were to go to a hotel. And I was thinking, the Holy Spirit had already told me that. And... (laughs) I was prepared to do the Holy Spirit's will, and she was going in the car whether the Holy Spirit told her or not. (laughs) So we weathered the hurricane in southeast uh, Fort Myers in a comfort inn, and and by the grace of God, we were okay, and she was okay, but there's a lot of devastation down there. Their mobile home park was damaged severely, but nothing was irreparable. I was helping... Uh, cut up a, a one of those rubberized single roofs that kind of is welded together with glue. And it held, but it was blown off into the ba- lake behind their house. And I was helping the neighbor cut it up on Thursday and, and on Friday. And he was just overwhelmed. And I looked at him and I said, I know this doesn't help, but I'd been in hurric- or post-hurricane repair before. And I said, Everything's repairable. There was no, no loss of life in their park. And I said, I, I just, I know that this isn't helping you. But, but relatively speaking, this is the best of the, you know, the best of the worst that it could be. But for a lot of those folks, they were elderly and they're just recovering from that. So I just want to take a, a moment for, for those in Fort Myers, in Lee County, in Charlotte County, in Florida. And, and, and a lot of you vacation there. A lot of you have relatives that own there and just pray for them. And, 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 and by the way, God is good. I was stranded. I mean, you know, the airport isn't even open yet. In, in Fort Myers, and 
I couldn't get a rental car. I couldn't get an Uber. I couldn't get anything out of there. In fact, I was thinking about buying a bike at Walmart and riding till I found somewhere where I could get out. And uh, one of our church members, uh, as a couple, uh, Mike and Stacy Colson, they'd been keeping track of me. Stacy had been keeping track of me. She, she texted me on Saturday morning last week, week ago, Saturday, and said, how are you doing? I said, well, I can't get a flight. Can't get a rental. I can't get an Uber. I am stranded. And she said, "Well, I have a car. I inherited a car, or she inherited a car in Sarasota, and so you could take the car home." And let me tell you, I, I paid someone a couple hundred dollars to drive me from uh, Fort Myers to Sarasota to get her car, and I, it was a beautiful car. And I drove it like I stole it home. <laughs> I mean, I was like on adrenaline. Uh, and uh, by the grace of God, I'm here today, but I'm so thankful. Thank you for your support, for your concern, and for, for, your, prayer, for your prayers, because it is, just, it is just devastating. And the closer you got to the beach, the worse it was. And so a lot of people are hurting. <sighs> Loss of life was, uh, and, and the largest hurricane that ever hit Florida. And by the way, it was only supposed to be a tropical storm, right? Let's pray. Father, I just do. I thank you for holding us in your hand. And Father, I just pray for those that are in uh, Lee County and Charlotte County. And Father, just the devastation. And for those folks, Father, as uh, the relief workers and emergency workers and everyone is trying to bring things back to order. And we know there's going to be months and years for, for full recovery. We just pray that we can be a support and a help. And Father, that your work would be done in this situation. Father, we know that all good things come from you. And we just count on that blessing for them and and for us to be a part of that solution and we just pray in Jesus name amen so it's times like those where we wonder what on earth were we created for why are we here on earth and the first Sunday as I was preaching we preached about we were created for God's pleasure we were created for worship and then the week before last I preached on we were formed for fellowship that we God's family God's church is so significant and important and if you're watching online today you need to be a part of God's family connected and, and our spiritual family is the only thing that's going to last eternally and those relationships. So this morning, we're going to talk about our third purpose, which we were created to become like Christ. Created to become like Christ. In Romans chapter 8, verse 29, I, I feel like I've lived this verse. In fact, sometimes I'm afraid of what I'm going to preach because God likes to use my life as a living example, and I don't care for it very much most of the time because it's pretty difficult. Romans eight twenty nine, and, and, and you can say, aw, don't you feel sorry for me? Aw, what a whiner. All right. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that we might be the firstborn among many brothers. We are to be conformed. From the very beginning, God decided that those who came to him and he knew who would come to him should become like his Son. That's a purpose in our lives. See, Ephesians 4 or 5 says it this way. It says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. We are to grow. God wants us to grow up like Christ in every way. 
in everything. He wants us to grow. Colossians 1.15, Paul writes, he says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. So when we look at the sun and see God's original purpose in everything that he has created, from the leaf that are falling to the pumpkin spice that we drink sometimes to whatever, God has a plan and a purpose. Now this process of growth in the Christian walk to become like Christ is called discipleship. And discipleship is throughout our whole lives. It never, ever stops. And so you might ask, well, Chris, I'm a disciple. I'm a believer. How does this work? How do I do it? How does God do it in our lives? And the first way is our first value as a church is that we believe the Bible. The Bible, we read it, we study it, we memorize it, we meditate on it, we think about it, we apply it in our lives. It it takes truth to transform us. That's the primary way. Then, of course, the Holy Spirit comes alongside. Then fellow believers, if you're in a life group or a Sunday school class or you're doing life together, serving Christ in some way in some ministry, that is part of your life. In fact, my mom was, just imagine, just imagine, seven days with your mom in an anxious environment, in a hurricane, No electricity, no power. Sometimes the Holy Spirit speaks through your mom. And as an oldest son, you listen. So all different types of ways God uses our circumstances. But today I want to look at three unexpected tools God uses to conform us to the character of Christ. And and then... Romans 8, 28, which we all know. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Not all things are good, but God works for good through our circumstances in our lives. God works all things for good to make us like Jesus. And that's his purpose. So the first unexpected tool that God uses... And I don't really like any three of these points, but they are God's truth, and and they apply to our lives. God uses trouble to teach us to trust him. God uses the trouble in our lives. Romans 5, 3 through 5, it says, Not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Notice, what produces character in our lives is the trouble that we experience in our lives. And that trouble produces patience, and patience produces character, and character produces hope. Now the question is, are you cooperating with God and allowing him to produce that character in your life? Are you getting more angry and more bitter as you go through life? 
Because God is more concerned with what you are, that is your character, than what you do. You might be asking, well, why is that? I care about what, what, what I do and where I work and whom I'm with. Well, the reason why is because you're not taking your career to heaven with you, but you are taking your character with you. And so I imagine a lot of people in southwest Florida are asking this question, why me, Lord? Why now? Why couldn't it have hit Sarasota or Fort Myers? Believe me, I was asking that. And there were Christians praying in Fort Myers, and there were Christians praying in Tampa, and there were Christians praying in Sarasota. But it was a natural disaster. But you've got to realize something, that the goal of life is not comfort. It is not comfort. Now, we like comfortable choices. We like comfort. Particularly, I like electricity and running water and hot water, personally. And ice. And refrigeration. And air conditioning. Just to name a few things. But we've got to realize that every problem has a purpose. Every problem has a purpose. That there's a plan behind that problem. And if you look at Scripture, I think the greatest example we can see in the New Testament and in the Old Testament is Jesus. And the question was, when God sent Jesus on earth, when he was born into this world, the question really came down to, would he trust his Father? Would he trust God in this life? And I think the greatest trial or the greatest trouble that Jesus had was in Mark chapter 14 verse 32 of course it's in the other gospels as well it says and they went to a place called Gethsemane and he said to his disciples sit here while I pray see even in that time when Jesus was being tried when he was experiencing the greatest trouble in his life he needed friends to support him even Jesus needed friends just like you and I need friends and then in mark 34 or 1434 he goes on and and he said to them my soul is very sorrowful even to death remain here and watch we need friends around us through the trials of life in mark 1436 he goes on and said and he said abba father all things are possible for you remove this cup from me yet not my what i will but what you will you see, Jesus was surrendering to God's plan. He was surrendering, or surrendering to the point of death. So then Jesus was basically saying, whatever fulfills your purpose in my life, Lord God. So if you're going to become like Jesus Christ, you've got to learn to trust God completely, even when things look like it's terrible, even when things are falling apart. And so what's the practical application for this? It's basically to keep a spiritual journal. And this is something that I struggle with, that I have a, a journal that I, I do digitally and I have for the last, I don't know, 14, 15 years. I struggle with it. But... but 
There are times where I just have to stop and reflect on my spiritual life and my growth and the trials and the troubles that I have in life and write them down so that I can reflect on them, so I can think about them, so they can be lessons learned. Actually, Moses did this. He was commanded by the Lord in Numbers chapter 33, verse 2. It says, Moses wrote down their starting places stage by stage by command of the Lord, and these are their stages according to their starting places. What's interesting is we believe Moses wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. We think that he was the one that wrote that. But why did he chronicle that? So that we would know. You see, it was at the Lord's direction, Moses kept a written record of their progress, their ups and downs, their mistakes, their sins. And so should we. A journal is a recording of the lessons and the insights learned in your life. It's not, well, I ate ham and, or I mean, eggs and ham today with, uh, with hash browns, and then at lunch I ate this and I visited with this. No, it's the spiritual insights that God, God is teaching you in your life. And it helps you see the progress that you're making. Sometimes we don't realize the progress until someone maybe we'll see years later and they'll say something like, man, you've changed. You're different. You're no longer the same. It also leaves a spiritual heritage. I, 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 every once in a while, as I preach a funeral sermon, somebody will have the... Uh, deceased Bible and it'll be marked and it'll be written in and and to me that's like a spiritual journal and there'll be insights in it and 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 what that is is a legacy of faith that is being left behind to those that have, have survived that person's death to remind them of what they really believed and you've got to remember this God is going to reward you for your character development. God is going to reward that. Paul writes this way. He says, For this momentary, light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. We will be rewarded. Basically he's saying these, are hard t- these hard times are small potatoes compared to the coming good times and the lavish celebration that is prepared for us. What we will experience is unbelievable, unimaginable in this life. Sarah Grove wrote a song, and she says it this way. In your hands, the pain and hurt look less like scars and more like character, less like a prison, more like my room, less like a casket, more like a womb, less like dying, more like transcending, less like fear, less like an ending. And in your hands, the pain and hurt look less like scars and more like character. Don't you want that for your life? You see, God uses trouble to teach us to trust him. But God also uses our temptations to teach us to obey him. You see, temptations are situations designed by Satan, and they're intended to harm us. Don't ever say God is tempting you, because it's not God. It's Satan, but God will use that temptation 
to show obedience in our lives and to save us. He will provide a way out. You see, Jesus faced temptations in his life like we do. In, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And you remember the three temptations. And they were the, the temptation to be God. There were temptations to, to, to feed his uh, human flesh food. And it was basically lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. That he could be the king of the kingdom of the earth. But Jesus obeyed. Martin Luther says it this way. He says, you can't keep the birds from flying over your head. You're going to be tempted. But you can keep them from building a nest in your hair. Now that might be funny because I don't have any hair. But honestly, we don't allow temptation to nest in our lives. It's not a sin to be tempted. Everyone is tempted in the same ways. Don't think that you're not going to be tempted. Don't say to yourself, I'm really bad. I've got this great temptation. I've thought of this thing, this temptation nobody in all human history has ever thought of. No. We are all tempted in the same ways. We will be challenged in every way just like Jesus was, but he provides a way of escape. I've ran into some people that have uh, shared with me their temptations and they think they're all alone and they truly are not. They truly are not. And so you've got to remember this, that you will never outgrow temptation. Whether you're 15 or 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 or 70 or 80 or, or as long as God allows you to live, you will never ever not be tempted by something. Jesus goes on in Matthew 4 and he says, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and him alone. You see, temptation always tests whether you love God more than the temptation. And if we give in to the temptation and we sin, then that, that temptation or that sin becomes our idol And only God is worthy of worshiping. There should be no idols in our lives. Jesus said this, if you love me, you will obey my commands. And that is what God is calling us to, to obedience. Now here's three strategies to take when we're tempted. First, keep focused on good thoughts. Keep focused on good thoughts. Don't think about the temptation Because you can only think about one thing really at one time. So focus on something positive. Focus away from the temptation. Philippians 4.8 says, Fix your thoughts on what is true and what is good and what is right. Fix your thoughts on those things. Second, get a spiritual partner. Do you have someone that you can confide in? Someone that you can talk to? Someone that you can share what you struggle with? that it would only be between you and them. Ecclesiastes 4, 9, and 10 says, You're better off to have a friend than to be all alone. If you fall, your friend can help you up. You need people around you to support you. And finally, tell someone, anyone, just tell 
someone. I have a young person that is struggling with suicide that contacts me uh, not daily, but nearly daily. And in fact, he just recently checked himself back into an outpatient or an inpatient unit. And it's a struggle for him. He's intelligent. He has a lot of things going for him, but he just can't see it. But he's telling someone. And, and I pray for him, and I care about him, and, and he's getting help, and he has uh, a protective net around him. But it's a day-by-day struggle. You may have people around you that need someone, and they're afraid to tell you that they're struggling. You see, the Apostle Paul... I think he was one of the best apostles that ever lived. Wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, and he needed people. And he had Barnabas, and he had Mark, and he had Apollos, and he had Timothy, and he had Epaphras, and he had Titus. And the list could go on. But he had support. He had support, and we need that around us. So my question is, what temptation are you facing right now, and how... Could God use that temptation as you choose to obey him as an opportunity for you to grow in character? Are you allowing God to work? See, there's some, some simple temptations that we all face. And one is to live in the here and now and not think about eternity and what God's work and what God's will is. And, and some people, I, I can remember... When I was a youth pastor in Washington, I had just moved there years and years ago. And we had a kid who committed suicide. His girlfriend broke up with him. He hopped into his pickup truck. He ro- drove it in as fast as he could into a light pole on a th- at a, uh, uh, a retail store parking lot. And he killed himself in a moment because he was just thinking about the here and now. The other temptation is to get into a hurry. It's, it's being impatient and not allowing God the time and the room to work in your life. And a lot of times I have to come alongside someone and say, you know, this is going to require patience. It's going to take time to rebuild and change. If God tells you to do something, he will give you the strength and the grace to do it. And it may require patience. That's not popular in our here and now culture. Another temptation is to take matters into our own hands. To take matters into our own hands. To do the quick and the simple and the expedient rather than what God would call us to do. And I was struggling with that this last week. Really, really was. And the other temptation is to do the convenient, easy thing instead of the right thing or the best thing that God calls us to. Those are temptations. You see, God uses trouble to teach us to trust him. God uses our temptations to teach us to obey him. And God uses trespasses to teach us to forgive. He uses trespasses. What does that mean? Trespasses are situations designed by other people to hurt us. Trespasses, you know, where you get offended, where they sin against you, where they do the wrong thing, or they set you up for the fall. 
Now, Jesus, in the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer, he prays and taught us to pray like this. Forgive us our trespasses as we we forgive those who have trespassed against us. That's a challenge. I think this is the hardest thing, the hardest unexpected tool to use. When when was the most difficult time in Jesus' life? I believe it was when he was hanging on the cross outside of the garden when he was betrayed, but also on the cross. In Matthew 27, verses 39 to 44, it's recorded, And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days? Save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and the elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now. If he desires him, for for he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Those that were hanging beside him were, were ridiculing him. But what is, how does Jesus respond? He said, Father, forgive these people because you, they don't know what they are doing. He's basically saying, they don't know who I am. They don't know my purpose. They don't know my power. And I forgive them. Peter writes, When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. They called him every name in the book, and he said nothing back. He suffered in silence, intent to let God set things right. Jesus absorbed the hurt. And when we sing a communion song like we sang today, that we will honor Christ and we will be crucified with him. Folks, those are not idle words. You will suffer for Christ if you do his will. And we are to forgive those trespasses when people harm you intentionally or unintentionally. God's grace is sufficient. God speaks, His Holy Spirit speaks to those around you. And I was being confronted with what someone called a grudge and I would call a boundary in my life this last week. And I had, to, I had every excuse and I had to step back and, and, and think about it, pray about it and say, maybe they're right. Maybe I'm holding a grudge. Maybe... I'm holding a trespass rather than forgiving it. Maybe really it's not a boundary. I have to remember, like you have to remember, how much God has forgiven me and how great his grace is for each one of us. Paul writes in Ephesians, he says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgave you. Could there be a grudge in your life? Could there be a trespass? that you're holding against someone. Jesus said, forgive others just as God forgave you because of what he did. Are you holding that in your life? 
Now, in the Old Testament, one of the guys that I think had every right to bear a grudge and to get even would have been Joseph. When his brother sold him into slavery and he endured prison, and he endured suffering, he, he had false accusation just like Jesus. But in Genesis 50, 20, Joseph says to his brothers, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. When we forgive, could it be that other people will be kept alive spiritually or emotionally or physically around us if we just give those hurts up? And I'm not saying what happened was okay. I'm not saying allow them to do it again. Absolutely not. But just don't let that poison of that unforgiving heart, that grudge-holding heart, to harm you. Joseph was saying, you meant to hurt me, but God turned your evil into good to save the lives of many people, which is being done, and it will be done through you. God's third purpose for your life is to make you like Jesus Christ. Are you cooperating? Are you growing? Romans 8, 17 says it this way, And if children then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Paul says it in Philippians. He says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ. That's a tall order. That's a hard order. But when he asks the question, what on earth am I here for? We're here to be created in the image of Christ. That our troubles are used to show who we trust in, whether trust in God or not. Our temptations are used to teach us to obey. And finally, finally, our trespasses are used so that we can practice forgiveness to be more like Jesus. This morning, I just want to challenge you that if you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, the only way you're ever going to be like Jesus is if you, if you know Him as Lord and Savior of your life. And if, and if you're struggling today, this is the time to rededicate your life to know Him, to know Him better, and to realize that this is just a part of character development, that we are to grow and to be changed into His likeness. Will you please stand as I pray this morning? Eternal God and Father, we are indeed grateful for the work that you do. And Father, although we don't like trouble, and we don't like temptation, we don't like trespasses, in fact, uh, we loathe them. But we know that you use them to make us like Jesus. And Father, today, we just pray that we might use them to make us more like you. And Father, that cooperate with your Spirit And uh, Father, obey obey your word. And Father, for those that don't know you, that are far from you, that they would come to know you through us. Father, we just give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.